This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in Genesis chapter 36, and uh, this is the chapter about Esau. And there is a whole chapter in the book of Genesis about Esau and about Esau's life, about his heritage, the children that come after him. And uh, that's important for a few reasons, but the main reason that's of great importance is because Esau was the one who lost his birthright in selling it to Jacob. And then he, uh, he, was, he was tricked out of his blessing as far as his father was concerned, and uh, his line as far as that's concerned, is very important because several times in this chapter, actually, a couple times in this chapter, it says that Esau was Edom or the Edomites. And you're going to find as you study throughout the rest of the Old Testament that the Edomites are an important group of people. And the reason they're an important group of people is because they fight God at every turn. That is been Esau's life in that he in that even though he matured as he got older and even though he's the father of a great nation his children and his and those who come after him turn against God and it is a cautionary tale about um how we live our lives even though we are believers we can live our lives in such a way that those that come behind us are they are bound up or we use the word curse but what they are is they're bound up by sin and desires and lust of this world, rather than the plan and the purpose that God has for us in his life and in the way he does things. And that's what's going on in this passage. What is happening is that Esau is being proven, it's showing us, just straight up, it's showing us how Esau became Edom and how Edom is not in line with God's will. And let me show you that. Because it doesn't start with his sons, which are usually the promise of God. That's that your prodigy, your children, are God's promises to you. But it starts with his wives when it starts to talk about his genealogy. And that's important because he married he married the people that God specifically told his forefathers not to marry. He intermarried with them. And notice he didn't just intermarry with one group of them. He intermarried with all of them. It says, now, this is the genealogy of Esau, who was who is Edom. Notice it says his name is Edom. He is the Edomites. He says, Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan. Notice he's telling us he took wives that were not from where God said take them. He said, Adah, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Now, the Hittites are... Ultimately, they're an empire 
that develops north of Israel and has me or has power in Israel or in Canaan and over the Canaanites. But the Hittites were, you can look them up, they're pretty pretty important empire that took place, and they intermarried with the Canaanites. They were Canaanites in, in, in some degree. Maybe the greatest of the Canaanites were the Hittites. And obviously, the first person that Esau marries is a Canaanite woman who is the worst of the Canaanites, the Hittites. And it says he married Holabama. I'm not sure how to say that. But anyway, the daughter of Ana. <laughs> the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite. Notice, it's not naming who their fathers are, it's naming who their mothers are. Because you gotta understand, in the Canaanite religion, deities and the worship of the female goddess was very important. And in fact, in fact, uh, their worship as far as sexualization and all that kind of stuff that went on in, in their worship came from the mothers. And his second wife, is as we read through, she's a Hivite, which is a Canaanite. That's one of the tribes of the Canaanites. And she is she's the daughter of multiple of them. She comes from a long line of Hivites. She's not just the single one. She's many. Then he married Base Math. And I can spell that because it's Base, B-A-S-E, and Math, M-A-T-H. I can pronounce that really well. So there, there's one I can say. He says Base Math, Base Math, Ishmael's daughter, sister of Nebajoth. Notice, she, it's mentioning her sister. It's mentioning another female. It's not mentioning the male. And she's Ishmael's daughter. So we've got a Hittite, we've got a Canaanite, and then we've got Ishmael's daughter, who was not from the promise of God. Ishmael was not a part of the direct line of the promise of God. Isaac was. And Ishmael's daughter would be really a slap in the face of Isaac, of Isaac by marrying one of his daughters, his son, his son is in many ways, his son is turning against his father. Notice there's rebellion, there's wildness, there's a desire to do what you want to do. And even though obviously Esau, Esau knew God, even though he knew God, his life is a constant antagonism to the ways of God. And it's a constant rebellion against God's plan for his, and then he says, and then it says, and Ahilabama bore Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These were the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. And then it goes into them. Then Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his household, his cattle and all his animals and all his goods, which he had gained in the land of Canaan. And he went to a country away from the presence of his brother Jacob. Notice, he, he takes all that, and eventually he leaves the promised land. Eventually he goes away from the promises of God. Because what happens? When you begin to live your life totally sold out to the world, when you begin to live your life totally totally sold out to what is your plan for yourself, totally sold out to the ways and the will of the world, eventually you not only bear children and your whole family begins to live that way, begins to become like that, but eventually you leave the promises of God, and go out and live in places where God didn't intend you to live. And how many times do we see that happening? How often and how regular 
Do we see that as happening in the church? And I think of Demas in the New Testament. He left me for he loved this present world. I think of all the people that come to the church and they're like the seed that's sown and falls on the rocky soil and it takes root. But because it's so shallow, when the sun comes up, it's burned up. I think of people who have a genuine desire for God and then because they cannot extricate themselves from the world, because they cannot begin to act and walk in their faith, because they refuse to take the small steps that God has for them in the initial part of their walk with God, they end up never, ever actually having God's very best. They just miss out on it. They want it, they desire it, but ultimately they never have it because because they love this present world, as Demas did in the New Testament. He says, for their possessions were too great. For them to dwell together, notice notice they're blessed. They've got worldly blessings, and their possessions are too great to stay with God. Really, that's what it's saying. Uh, the land where they were strangers could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. Notice this is the second time it says it. In eight verses, it says it twice, that Esau's Edom. He's giving you a signal. He's throwing his hands up and saying, hey, look over here. Esau is Edom. When you... Down the road, when you look at this and when you see the passage that are going to happen in Deuteronomy, and then you're going to see Micah and Malachi and Obadiah, and you're going to see in throughout the histories in the rest of the Old Testament, you're going to see that they're staunchly opposed to the plan and the will of God. They don't ally themselves with Israel. In fact, they become bitter enemies of Israel and bitter enemies of God. Now you go, I don't understand how that works. I'm going to explain it to you. As far as Christianity and as far as chasing after God and trying to figure out God's will, the place in the world that has done that probably the most as far as Jesus Christ is concerned is Europe. And if you think about it, the European continent is the place where Christianity really spread all over the world. It started obviously with the apostles and it started in many places, but that's where it was propagated the most and that's where it was sent out the most all over the world. And Ultimately, the people there, they began to chase after their own, their own desires, their own hopes, their own lives, and they rejected God. And in many ways, Europe is a godless place right now, and some of, if not all of, the tenets of godlessness are a part of the way they do things. You say, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about Marxism. And remember, a lot of people think Marxism is just communism. It's not. There are three tributaries of Marxism that are quite clear and quite clear that go out. One of them is socialism. The other one is communism. And then there's fascism. And so many times people say fascism is a right. No, it's not right. It's left. All of them are left. All of them. Communism, socialism, and fascism are leftist ideologies. They're all leftist ideologies. Now, one of them can be taken, fascism, and made into a very tribal form. But the truth is, all of them are godless, and all of them reject who God is and God's plan for the world. And that, in some way, whether it be great or small, controls almost all of Europe. It does. And it's either a medium or soft socialism, all the way up to what is a modern communist ideology which still controls and runs Russia. 
The only reason there's any capitalism involved in any of it is because without capitalism, Russia and China would have starved to death a long time ago. Without having some free markets, they would have nothing. But they do today, and you're going to see China over the next, I know you hear in the news, you're going to see China over the next 10, 20 years. You hear in the news that they're going to become the great superpower of our time. They said that same thing about the Japanese, but the problem is that communism and socialism and uh Nazism or fascism, all those things ultimately end up in being a disaster for their people because it's focused on godlessness, it's focused on the power of the state rather than focusing on God's word and the importance of the individual and the individual's freedom and choice in trying to figure out where God's leading them in their life. The government cannot plan anything real well, and neither can government plan the lives of individuals so that they maximize their very best with their life. And so what's happened is that Europe and Russia, and by the way, China will collapse. Their economic system is based on a whole big giant lie, and it will collapse also. It'll go into a malaise, and it's already in the process of doing it even today. It is They will go in a malaise that will last for decades and decades. Why? Because godlessness leads to death and destruction. Godlessness, ultimately, if you live a godless life, even though you might be a part of the church, even though you might grew up Christian, if you live a godless life, it decays your family, it decays your future, and ultimately it destroys who you are. And so there's just no way to get around that. We have hundreds of years of proof that is the way things work. Now, I know we've got people today who want to say that they figured it out. The reason it failed in the past is because they didn't do it. That's just foolishness. It's wrongheadedness. And it's a thought process that you're greater than those who came up with the whole system themselves. And really, not really. That that just can't be. And Esau is facing the same thing. And it says, and this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. These were the names of Esau's son. Eliphaz, the son of Ada, and, and the, the wife of Esau, and Ruel, the son of Basemath, the wife of Esau, and the sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gadam, and Kenaz. And now Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, and Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These were the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. Notice, Finally, we get to the sons, but we've already ruined the family. The family's already headed away from God. They've already gone away from God's plan. They've totally God's will. Their father has married married those who's worshipped other gods, and they're going to be worshipers of those gods, and they're going to be wholly involved in the Canaanite religions when uh, the children of Israel come out of Egypt, and they are going to they're going to fight against them, and they're going to war against them. And it says, these were the sons of Ruel. It says, Hath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These were the sons of Basemath, Esau's wife. These were the sons of, and this is the one I can't say, Esau's wife, the daughter of Ana, the daughter of Zidane. She bore Esau, Jeush, Jalem, and Korah. You can do a study of these folks, and you'll find out that oftentimes, whenever their names come up, or their genealogy, or their heritage, or their tribes or clans come up. Whenever they come up, they're always against God. They're always against God. 
It says, these were the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn son of Esau, were chiefs Teman, chief Omar, Zepho, and Kenaz, Korah, Gadam, and Amalek. These were the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Eden. They were the sons of Ada. And then it goes into Ruel's uh, Esau sons and those chieftains. And that's verse 17. And verse 18, it goes into all their names again. And they were all chiefs. Why? Because when you chase after, the world will reward you for a moment and it will drag your family into nothingness. That's what happens. And finally, in verse 20, you see the sons of Seir were the son of the Horite who inhabited the land. Lotan, Shabal, Zebion, Anna, Disor, Ezer, Dishon. These were the chiefs of the Horites and the sons of Seir in the land of Edom. And it goes into the sons of Lotan and the sons of Shobal and the sons of Zibion. And notice the Bible spends this time going through every one of them. So when you find them, when you find their line, you'll understand who you're dealing with. And that is, God wants this to be a standing stone in scripture to say, don't head down that way and don't live your life that way. And don't give your children over to, to the things of this world. Don't chase after things that are illusory. I had somebody say to me the other day, I want my child to get, I want my child to get a scholarship. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, that might, that in theory, right on the surface, that sounds really good. I wanted my daughters to get scholarships and they did get scholarships, but what are they going to study when they get that scholarship? And how are they living their lives so that they might be focused in a way that scholarship is actually valuable. And by the way, if you train them all their life to chase after this one thing that's not God, are they going to actually, when they get to the place where they're, they have this scholarship and they have this plan for their life, are they going to actually live it out in such a way that God's going to bless it? And the truth is they're not if you don't have them continually learning and growing in, in a place where they hear God's word and where they're pushed where they're, and where they're provided opportunity to serve God. You, it's just not going to happen. And so there's nothing wrong with chasing after scholarships for your children. Like I said, both my daughters got full academic scholarships. That's not, a, that's not a problem. And I definitely push them academically. But the issue is, did I put, did they grow up learning as much about God as they learned about math and science? As much about God's will and God's way as they learned about English and history? And the answer is, yes, they did. And it's important that you get that. You go, I don't want my children to miss out. The question is, what are you asking for your children to miss out in? What, when you're making this choice, what are they missing out on? They might miss out on, on this opportunity or that opportunity. Really? Where do all opportunities come from? They come from God. All opportunities come from God. And when God gives you an opportunity, usually all the other opportunities are worthless compared to the one God's provided for you because it's perfect for you. And so many times in our lives, we say, I want my children to have every opportunity in the world. I don't want my children to have every opportunity in the world. I want my children to have all of God's opportunities and the rest of them I don't really care about. I don't care about them at all. And I would say to you that God is giving us a whole chapter and 50 chapters in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. He is giving you a whole chapter of saying, don't be Edom. Don't be Edom. And all these people that are being mentioned here, you can look up, look them up in scripture and about half of them are mentioned again in some way. And almost exclusively, they're all mentioned negatively. Almost every one of them are mentioned ne negatively. Verse 31 says this, now these were the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the children of Israel. Notice, 
at the moment that it sounds like they become a great nation and Israel doesn't become a great nation. In the moment in the temporal, it seems like good. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, but leads to destruction. And it seems like that, look, they become kings and they have great families and they got all this good stuff going on. But ultimately, they become enemies of God. Ultimately, we find out in Obadiah and Malachi that they're destroyed. And you know what? The only Edomites that are left when Jesus shows up on the scene are the Edomians, okay? And you look them up. They are a pro out outgrowth or a branch of what's left of the Edomites after they're destroyed, not long after the children of Israel go into exile, which, by the way, they participated in that also, the children of Israel going into exile, they are left, to, and do you know who is the ones who are left who are Edomians? They're the line of King Herod. That's who they are. The one Herod who, who killed um, John the Baptist, Edomian. Herod, who Jesus was sent to by Pilate to uh, speak with him, he's an Edomian. They become absolutely antagonistic and totally against the will of God. They become godless. He says, Bella, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, and he named the city Dinhabah. Din and when Bella died, Jabab, the son of Zerah of Basra, reigned in that place. And when Jahab died, Hushan in the land of the Temanites reigned in his place. And when Hushan died, Adad, the son of Beda, the, who attacked Midian in the field of Moab, reigned in his place. Notice they're attacking the Midianites also. And the name of the city was Aveth, and Hadad died, and Shemalah and Mizrak reigned in his place. And when Shemalah died, Saul of Rehoboth by the river reigned in his place. And when Saul died, Balahanan, the son of Akbor, reigned in his place. And when Belhalanan, son of Achor, died, Hagdar reigned in his place. And the name of his city was Pau, and his wife's name was Mahetabul. Notice. God is, and then he goes into verse 40, God is spelling out all these chiefs. He's spelling out every one of these names, showing you every one of these people to prove to you that God keeps an account of them too. God knows what's going on with that also. He doesn't just have his eyes focused on us. He has his hand involved in everything. And ultimately, in verse 43, at the end of it, you say, Esau was the father of the Edomites. And that's not a good thing. And I wanted to get through this chapter today, and I did. I did a whole chapter of Genesis in one day. And the reason I wanted to get through it is because I don't really like to focus on godlessness. I don't really like to focus on rebellion. I don't really like to focus. I used to focus on my ministry after that. I was very passionate, and I'd get passionate about all the things that shouldn't be, especially in God's kingdom. And uh, I'd get upset about it and toe up about it. And as they used to say, toe up from the flow up, I would just get terrified and upset and mad about all the things that are going wrong. And I realized that I had my focus on the wrong things. God's got his hand, and he's handling all those things. I needed to place my focus and my hope on Jesus Christ and what he's doing. And uh, my, my efforts and my energy need to be on those who are actually chasing after God and those who are actually building the kingdom of God and not worried about those who either won't, can't, or shouldn't because, because they can't live their lives in faith. They have to live their lives according to the world. And I've done that myself at times. But the truth is there's really no life and there's no hope and there's no place in it. And so I just say to you today, 
don't do that. One of those things that hurts you and destroys you, just don't do that. Chase after God, and you will not be the Edomites, and God will not one day say, you are Edom, which is just a terrible thing to have said about you. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.